today on the Bill Kelly Show on 900 CHML. We've talked about pandemic safety and uh, and COVID protocols, and uh, well, we get reminded on a daily basis from the governments, uh, both federal and provincial, about what we should be doing. And we know the basics, of course, you know, washing hands, uh, social distancing, and and the mask wearing, and things of that nature. But you know, the the stuff in the workplace and and the protocols in the workplace are very important too. And uh, you'd like to think that the government who's telling us what we should be doing is actually following the same guidelines. Uh, not necessarily so, uh, according to some uh, great investigative reporting uh, done by Global News about this, uh, and it has to do with our, our security agencies. Uh, CSIS now has confirmed that the director has COVID-19 uh, amid debate over workplace safety, and this is, by the way, not a new issue. Uh, a number of employees of, of that agency, of course, have been complaining, and not vocally and not publicly, of course, because they're afraid of repercussions. Uh, Amanda Conley, investigative reporter for Global News, uh, one of the co-authors of the piece that's on the webpage right now, joins us uh, to talk about this. Amanda, thank you so much for the time. Glad you could join us today. This is uh, having me on. Well, it's good to have you back again. This is a revealing piece. And again, it seems as if the, the government policy here seems to be do as we say, not as we do, because this, these, these are government agencies. Uh, and what you've heard from an awful lot of the employees is uh, they're not following the protocols. Yeah, we're certainly hearing some um, stories of what is what is happening and what the situation is like in the CSIS headquarters here in Ottawa that uh, seem to be very different from some of what we're hearing from other agencies that deal with national security. For example, uh, Canada's Signal Intelligence Agency, the CSE, or the RCMP as well. So really, it, it's painting a picture, as you were mentioning there and, and talking about in your intro, of uh, part of this broader conversation about workplace safety and what responsibilities do employers have, particularly in cases where... Uh, there might be you know, perhaps people are working in um, essential or difficult to transition to remote working environments. What, what obligations do they have to make sure that they are they are limiting the, the exposure in the workplace and also making it possible whenever they can to allow people to work from home, too. So we're certainly seeing a lot of conversation happening about this here and factoring into that broader discussion around who is an essential worker um, at what level and, and kind of what factors put people at risk that should warrant early access to vaccines, for example. Um, and how does that fit into the, the role that CSIS, of course, plays a very important role in Canadian society as well going forward? Well, exactly. And I mean, we're not naive. I mean, this security is an essential service. We understand that. They can't shut down and say, okay, see you after the pandemic. Uh, but you would like to think that they're doing everything they can to protect the employees. And, and the, some of the stories that you wrote about in the, in the piece here and some of the, uh, the anecdotal information that we're getting from some of the people there, uh, they're worried about going into the workplace. They're worried about the fact that they're still having to go into the office uh, as opposed to working from home. Yeah, exactly. And so we, we've certainly heard from a number of people um, in, in this story, which you can find on globalnews.ca. And this really does, uh, it, it kind of reveals this this fractious debate taking place within CSIS about workplace safety uh, during the pandemic. There are, a num- there are, of course, as always, a number of different sides to this. But we've been hearing from a significant number of CSIS employees. They've been complaining to managers that uh, basically other federal agencies are being allowed to work from home. But intelligence staff uh, are, are having to continue working at the agency headquarters in Ottawa. And so some of the concerns that we're hearing, for example, center around things like um, what some people feel is inadequate spacing within the offices, um, inadequate wearing of masks in the offices, um, not not enough support to be able to work from home for people who have small children, for example, who's, where the schools are shut down. And so really a lot of concerns on on. Um, both the the safety and the support for employees there, uh, and and again, it's all part of this uh, this bigger conversation here of um, 
what, what are their responsibilities like here and how do you balance that out with what we also heard um, for from from CSIS, of course, saying that they have a really critical role there. They have to keep Canadians uh, safe. They're working 24 uh, seven to keep this work going. And that the, theirs is a very difficult work to adapt dealing with classified information to have that be done from home. There's an interesting uh, uh, quote, I guess, from one of the, po- the folks that you got to talk to, from, I guess it's management here, uh, suggesting that uh, uh, CISA staff say that employees there need to accept a higher level of personal risk than some other federal employees due to the nature of the national security work. And, and on one level, I can understand that, Amanda, but do they really? I mean, does that mean you must go into the office because, you know, our national security is at risk if you don't? Because uh, what we're hearing from the employees is that, no, it doesn't necessarily need to be that way. And and you, and you put this in great context because you talk to some of the other agencies uh, that are in charge of law and security for this country, and they're doing it differently. Yeah, absolutely. So we did reach out for, for this piece as well to the CSC, which again is Canada's Signals Intelligence Agency, and also to the RCMP to try and get a comparable sense of how they're adapting to this, what measures they've put in place for their own workers. And really, we, we were hearing from both of those agencies that they have put um, a much larger number of their staff working from home, that they have shifted a number of employees who basically um, are working kind of in admin roles or kind of non-critical uh, capacities there to be able to be mainly working from home. Uh, we also heard from, you know, CSC that they've, they've been working to uh, make sure that their staff can connect securely to their IT infrastructure to allow, to be able to work from home on this. So there's, there's kind of a technology discussion going on there as well about um, how, how do you make that as secure as possible and make sure every employee has the equipment to be able to do that. And so um, really, really, there, there seems to be a bit of a contrast here in terms of the, the options being made available to uh, one versus the other. And so uh, this is certainly one that we are, we're watching very closely. We've already been hearing some reactions so far to this. And so uh, I think it's one that, that a lot of people, um, certainly workers at, at CSIS as well, but also uh, more broadly, are watching very closely to see how this debate and these concerns over essential work unfold. And again, we need to look at, at what's going on with some of the other agencies to understand that. And, you know, the, the, the quote I just read here, but, you know, they have to assume more personal risk. Uh, that, yeah, that's as a CSIS employee, and maybe there's an argument to be made for that. Uh, but not everybody who works for the, for the organization, as, as you guys point out, Amanda, uh, is, is dealing with highly confidential material. I mean, you know, it's one thing to say, well, we don't want, you know, people that can hack into this stuff, and there's always a concern if, if we're going to be working remotely for things like that. And, and but, but the RCMP, handling sensitive material the other agencies are handling sensitive material too but they seem to have found a way to do this yeah and so that that really is kind of part of the conversation here is is why you know why one and not the other and we haven't been able to get a, a clear response yet from CSIS about the fact that we, we are hearing these changes being made from um, other security agencies that have managed to it sounds like uh, find ways to make this work and so that remains a question that we are continuing to look into, that we will continue to press on. But um, unfortunately, as of right now, we really don't have a clear indication of, of the, the reasoning behind that as it compares to the other agencies. What about the, the, the fallback that they've got here? I think one of the key things that you guys reported on here, Amanda, uh, these are not unionized uh, workers. Uh, people always tend to think, of, okay, you work for the government, uh, you've got this strong union, and, and you know they'll, they'll back you up no matter what. And, uh, but, but this was why I, I guess so many of them were reticent to actually talk to you about this, because uh, they're going to be concerned about ramifications and job security and any number of other things if they start complaining too much. Yeah, absolutely. And so that was certainly something that we, we did have to uh, address in, in our piece. Again, all of our sources in that 
uh, article, we, we, we have agreed to protect their identities because uh, they, they do have concerns about potential career repercussions for speaking out about this. Uh, and again, part of that goes to the fact that they're... Um, there, there is no union for CSIS employees. And so when it comes to speaking out about workplace uh, workplace concerns, about safety and things like that, you know, uh, there, there is not necessarily that same guarantee that you have if you have a union that uh, you're going to have a certain amount of protection to do that. And so we certainly heard that uh, cited from sources that we spoke to as a concern. And really, I think it plays into as well the conversation here of, of who does the advocating, right? If you're an employee, and I'm sure there are a lot of Canadians working in various kinds of essential workplaces who who face similar challenges here without a union without uh, someone there to advocate for you it can be very difficult to to speak up and have the uh, the power to get changes that you are concerned about made and so that has certainly been something that we, we've heard from the people that we spoke to at least and I think is something that a lot of Canadians as well have um, have likely also experienced during this. And, and this is not the first time we've heard this. I mean, since the, you know, the pandemic protocols have been established in, in both the private and the public sector, we have heard from individual companies and employees at some of those companies that say, hey, these guys aren't meeting the standard. Uh, and, but there's supposed to be a reporting mechanism for that and, and maybe, you know, repercussions if in fact they decide to be non-compliant. More often than not, they say, okay, yeah, we will make sure that people are wearing masks. But I'm getting the sense as, as I started to read some of the material that you've accumulated here, though, that, uh, this is really a workplace safety issue i mean they're concerned about let's face it this is a deadly pandemic and they feel that they may be putting themselves more at risk by going into this work environment yeah and we've certainly heard that so far um again the the kind of confirmation that we have here of uh, what CSIS describes as limited and contained outbreaks of covid19 at some of its offices uh we, we don't have the specific locations of those uh we don't know the exact number of people who've been affected through that uh, but certainly, it, again, it, it it all goes into this broader conversation of, uh, it's, again, it's extremely difficult for um, so many workplaces right now to find ways to have their staff working safely, especially if they are working in the office or um, the, the accommodations haven't been made to allow them to work from home. And so this, this really is uh, a significant issue that I think is reflected for a lot of Canadians. And uh, to see it really kind of hit home within the walls of our National Intelligence Service, I think, uh, drives home the, the significance of this, the challenge that we're all facing right now with this, uh, this, this very dangerous virus. Uh, you mentioned, of course, right in the initial part of the piece here, that uh, the director, of course, David Vignon, uh, has tested positive. He's working from home now. Uh, is, is there a sense that there's a rule for management and a rule for the other people here? I mean, there's, that, that would only add to the frustration. Yeah, I mean, I think that's uh, that's certainly a, an important piece of context to point out that we we do know that uh, the director of the the agency has uh, been able to be working from home as a result of his uh, his uh, diagnosis or testing positive with COVID, uh, and so it certainly does raise questions about um, how he's able to do that, what he's working on. I mean, you would assume that the the director is going to have access to everything that he needs to do his job from from home, and so uh, the question, of course, then becomes why why. Or is there more that could be done to allow other employees at the agency to do the same thing? Is there a problem and a concern here from the, the, the people that you talk to uh, about how the, the pandemic is going to impact this? I mean, you know, it, this is, I, I, I think, you know, as you mentioned early in the piece, this is a very important agency, obviously. I mean, security, especially in these times, pandemic or no pandemic, still has to be maintained, and we have to be vigilant about that. And we've had examples of that, as you guys have been reporting about uh, all the time, almost on a weekly basis. But uh, is there a concern that the ranks could be decimated if this starts to sweep through an office building? 
so we, we've not had any indication at this time of, of um, that level of a severe outbreak. Um, certainly, I mean, of course, that's something that you're always, um, is always a risk, right? This, this is, of course, a, a highly contagious virus. And, and once it's, uh, it does kind of get in somewhere, there, you have to be very careful about limiting, limiting that spread. Um, I, I'll be just kind of cautious here, not, not to stoke any, uh, any, any alarm bells that we haven't uh, heard sounding yet. But yeah, I think it's, of course, it's, it's certainly always part of the conversation, I think. And so um, that, that is likely going to be part of the conversations that are happening now is once you have established and confirmed cases somewhere, what do you do and what can you do to, to stop them getting out of control and, and becoming even worse, right? That, of course, it was something that, that is um, such a critical role here as intelligence is going to be, I would expect, a, a very important part of, of that conversation. So we will certainly be watching very closely for, for more details on that uh, as it unfolds, because again, it's um, the, the potential for spread is, is just so enormous with this virus. Well, it is, and, and I know we're getting into some things of terminology here, but I mean, if there are even one or two cases in, in some facilities, that's classified as an outbreak. Uh, and we really don't know, I get the numbers within COVID. I mean, obviously, we know about Mr. Vignon, uh, but we're not quite sure exactly where else this is going and, and the kind of impact. And, uh, and, and you, you have to wonder about, you know, what's going to happen here. And I guess the fact that this, this is a, a non-unionized situation and there are an awful lot of people that you talk to uh, that are concerned about the, the environment in which they have to go to work every day, uh, what recourse do they have, aside from, from talking to you, and they even have to do that anonymously, uh, to try to get some action on something like this? I mean, to be honest, it seems like very little. We, we, yeah. we have heard um, from, you know, that there, there has been a mass grievance letter uh, filed with uh, roughly a uh, little little under 200 employees at CSIS outlining some of their concerns. Uh, some of those concerns again do do center on the lack of uh, lack of adequate leave for childcare and caregiving responsibilities as well. And so, certainly a lot of concern taking place uh, among the the employees. And and I think um, you're you're going to see um, again when there is a lack of kind of union protection or certainty about job security and things like that i mean uh, speaking out um, in 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 force like that with many people all together is something that we we certainly have seen uh in in the past from other uh other other groups and other individuals who are trying to get action on on issues that they're concerned about and so i would certainly look at that and the the number of people that we've heard have signed that uh as as an indication of that concern as I, as I read the piece this morning, uh, I was looking for, for one key phrase here from, from the folks that you talked to, and I'm talking about the, at the management level here, Amanda, is, uh, yeah, we should do better. We could be doing better. And I, I don't see that. I, uh, you got some, you know, generic uh, response here that says, you know, we are guided by principles to protect our employees and ensuring that we can continue to do just that. And, and, you know, we are continuously updating the measures. Well, apparently, according to the staff members you talked about, they're not doing much of a job of, of updating the measures. Uh, and you'd like to think that they're be some reassurance after the reporting you guys did on this to say yeah uh, yeah we we need to step this up a little bit and uh that wasn't forthcoming maybe maybe we just have to wait on that a little bit until they they craft some sort of a response but it was disappointing not to see that in there yeah i think there's um there, there's certainly a lot of things that you 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 look forward to indicate how how this might be addressed going forward uh right now we don't really have a lot of information about what that uh, that response will look like if there will be a response uh to to this 
Uh, what we do know, though, of course, is that people are really concerned. And I think that the fact that we now have this this confirmed case with the director of CSIS really does drive home the, the significance and the seriousness of that. And so will certainly be one that I expect that we'll continue to hear going forward, especially as Parliament, uh, the House of Commons is set to come back uh, next week as well. I, I would think that we're going to hear a lot more conversations about essential workers and how we how the, the provinces and, and um, the, the government potentially as well can prioritize these these essential workers. Amanda, what are the numbers like in Ottawa? I, I know I'm just you know throwing something at you, and I'm sure you don't have the stats in front of you. But I mean, you know, we know that the GTA is still problematic. It's a hot zone. Hamilton's a hot zone right now. Uh, London seems to be approaching that right now. Uh, the last reporting we saw that the city of Ottawa itself, where obviously these people work and many of them are living, uh, seemed to have the numbers under control. But I mean, that that's probably old information now, since the variants uh, seem to have dominated right now. Is 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 it a precarious situation in the, in the capital? Yeah, I think it's certainly fair to say that there's a lot of concern going on right now about um, the, the extent of the spread of COVID in, in Ottawa at the moment. We have heard, of course, from Ottawa Public Health over the last, uh, I would say the last maybe two, kind of three weeks here, really a ramping up of that concern and telling people, you know, we, we've got to be really serious here. We really have to crack down and take this, um, ha- have a lot of concern about this and all do our part. Um, again, I'll kind of leave the, the day-to-day tallies to uh, to the folks who, who are following that a little bit more closely than me. Sure. Again, I live here. Uh, I, I keep an eye on kind of the, the broader uh, trends and conversations happening. But again, I can certainly say with confidence that we've heard a really escalating level of concern from Ottawa Public Health about the level of spread in the community and the need to really take a lot more strict action uh, to for everyone to stay at home, everyone to do their part whenever possible, uh, limit their contacts uh, as, as this virus is really spreading rapidly in the community. Well, and that's important to know, obviously, because I think it, it underscores the importance of the story that you guys did. Uh, great reporting, as always, Amanda. Congratulations on this. People can go to the, the Global News webpage and, and get all the details on this. And, of course, uh, further details coming up on Global National tonight and, and every night, of course, at 630. Uh, stay well, and uh, we'll talk again soon. Thanks, Amanda. Thank you. Amanda Conley, of course, a broadcast journalist and uh, investigative journalist for Global News up in Ottawa. The Bill Kelly Show, weekdays from 9 to noon on 900 CHML.